You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Well done, that uh, psalm, it's quite hard to get our mouths around, isn't it, some of these psalms, but it speaks there of uh, the kingly authority of Christ, particularly thinking of Christ risen, Christ reigning upon his throne. Well, we come now to um, our Bible reading from Luke chapter 10, verses 21 to 24, Um, And you may have noticed that we've been in chapter 10 for a while. Uh, And you may have noticed that we we had part of this, or we had this text last week, but I skipped over these verses in rather a hurry. And and there's plenty more in them. Um, I hope we we will pick up speed to finish finish chapter 10 before Easter. Um, But these chapters in Luke's Gospel, they are, they're wonderfully long and wonderfully rich. But let us come now to uh, God's word. So you'll remember the the context that Jesus has uh, sent out the... um, He sent out the 72 uh, to proclaim the gospel and to cast out demons. And they've returned and rejoiced that... Uh, the demons submit to him, and the Lord Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And so this, he's continuing uh, from that section that we looked at last week. It's tightly connected to that. <clears throat> so verse uh, 21, in that same hour, he, that is Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Well, as we come to God's word, let us pray. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Father, we are ringed about on every side with deep mysteries, and yet you have chosen to make yourself known in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray this morning for the illumination of your Holy Spirit, that we might more clearly understand and perceive what you have taught us in your most precious word. And we ask this for our own joy and comfort, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So the text, just as we've read it, just breaks into those two sections. The first is a prayer of the Lord Jesus, this prayer of thanksgiving to God. And then that second little chunk is uh, just Jesus pronouncing a blessing over his disciples. So there's two very simple um, sections. And there are many famous prayers you can, might be able to think of of the Lord Jesus in Scripture. Think of uh, the, the great prayer in the upper room in John's Gospel, or, or the prayer of the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, or the, even the prayers of the Lord Jesus on the cross. There's many famous prayers of the Lord Jesus, and, and in all of them, much that we can learn from them. Uh, many of the, really the deep things of God that we learn from these prayers. And this is one of those wonderful prayers in Scripture which teaches us and, and reveals to us wonderful things uh, about God. And so uh, we, we find, as we, we come to the, the, the context of this prayer, which I've already noted is, is the return of the 72. He sent out the 12, and then the 72 on mission, and the 72 re return, they've seen, uh, they've seen that the demons are expelled, and, and Jesus has said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus is rejoicing that what the disciples have seen are not simply random acts of, of um, exorcism and, and expulsion of demons, um, but these are, are signs, actually, of the very downfall of the kingdom of, of Satan, a, a downfall that he will... Uh, bring about through his life, death, resurrection, ascension, his rule in heaven, and ultimately at uh, his return. So they return with, with joy, and Jesus uh, um, gives them some instruction, and then he turns uh, to pray. Verse 21. And this prayer, notice first of all, this prayer is made with uh, great joy. Notice this great joy. Verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And the verb that he's translated there as just rejoiced um, means to be extremely joyful, to, to overflow with joy, uh, to rejoice greatly. It's sometimes uh, translated as to, to, to mean to be exceedingly glad. So you might remember the, the verse in Matthew 5, 12, when Jesus says to his disciples, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Um, uh, we, uh, and in that day rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So this is, is Jesus rejoicing. He is being exceedingly glad. He is overflowing with joy. As, the, as he prays to God the Father. So he makes this prayer with great joy. Um, and we see also, it's lovely, we see the, the joy of God the Son here. We see then the joy and the good pleasure of God the Father in, in a moment. But um, he rejoices in the Holy Spirit, we're told there. Do you notice that? He, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And Luke just very often mentions the activity and the work of the Holy Spirit in relation to Jesus, the Messiah. I think of when Jesus was baptized, the, the Spirit fell down, comes down 
from heaven and, and anoints him. And we're told that um, Jesus, um, uh, when he, he goes into the, the wilderness, that he's led by the Spirit. So full of the Holy Spirit, he returns from the Jordan where he'd been baptized, and then he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he will then have that great conflict and the temptation with Satan. And then at the beginning of the ministry, we, we read that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And that's then the beginning of his, um, his public ministry. And so we are to see all of his uh, ministry, his acts, his deeds, his words are all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. So here is the, the one anointed with the Spirit to the uttermost, the Spirit-filled uh, King, uh, the, the, the one who has, has, has come to act in the power of the Spirit. So here is the Lord Jesus in the power of the Spirit rejoicing and praying before God the Father. But what is the prayer? What is it that he gives, for which he gives thanks? Well, we see that in verse uh, 21. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Well, what is Jesus giving thanks for? What is he talking about? What are the, these things he's referring to that have been revealed to the little children, to his disciples? Well, the immediate context really tells us that they've come back and they've seen, um, not only that they've seen these great acts of power, but they have seen something that, that shows about his identity. They're confessing Jesus as Lord. They come back and they say, Lord, the demons submit to us in your name. They, they have seen something of the great majesty and the power and the identity of the Lord Jesus. They've come to, to perceive that. And this is what, what Jesus, he's been earlier on before the Mount of Transfiguration, we find Jesus praying for his disciples. And this is his desire for his disciples, is that they come to see and understand who he is. He asks that question, who do people say I am? And they, there were various answers. And then, who do you say I am? But then he wanted them to understand his identity, uh, even in the, the context that he was the one who was going to be rejected and suffer and, and, and die upon the cross. But they've come to see, there's still much, uh, much that they do not understand, but they've come to see something of the great majesty, of the great identity of Christ. But Jesus is giving thanks that that has been revealed to these disciples, that God has hidden these things from the wise and understanding um, and revealed them to these uh, disciples. And so it's just this, this wonderful thing that, um, that, this, that this has been a work of God's revelation by the Spirit for these disciples. It is not the disciples' own wisdom or understanding that has plumbed the depths of these things. It's not that they've kind of 
you know, Peter, James, and John, and then this wider group was so smart that they got up a study committee and they'd worked out who the Lord Jesus was, uh, but that the Lord had graciously, in the power of the Spirit, been opening their understanding that they, uh, these humble, these unnamed disciples, that they could come to perceive who is the Lord Jesus, that they could come to, and through that, come to know God the Father, that these wonderful truths are being revealed to these humble people. And this is part of the reversal theme which runs through Luke's gospel, that it's not to the wise, not to the kings on the throne, but to, to the humble, um, to those who would be overlooked, to, to them that it's God's good pleasure to reveal these things. So this theme of God revealing truth is something that continues through this little section, and that is the, the content of that second paragraph. Blessed are you, he says, and returns to this wonderful theme of uh, the revelation of, of God to these disciples. And so, so one of the, the, the points of the, this as we read this section is just to see, um, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that that has just been a, a work that God has done, that he has been revealing that to you um, in the power of the Spirit. This is not some truth that you worked out because you are so smart or so clever, or so intelligent. So it's very humbling, isn't it, that the gospel uh, is, is revealed to, to little children and that, that there is a work of God, the work, as we'll come on to see, a work of the Holy Trinity, of the triune God who is at work. So Jesus um, speaks um, of that um, and he gives thanks to God that these things uh, are hidden and then revealed to these little children and says, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will or such was your good pleasure. And so uh, it's, it's wonderful. We see the work of the undivided Trinity in this, this passage. Uh, Jesus is rejoicing that people uh, are coming to see his identity. But God the Father, this is the good pleasure of God the Father in these things, that the triune God is not um, working, is not at odds <laughs> with himself, that the undivided Trinity is working for the salvation of believers. It is not that God the Son has to overcome the reluctance of God the Father. It is the good pleasure of God the Father to bring about the salvation of of his people, to bring about your salvation. It is the good pleasure of God the Father to draw people to himself and to give the Son for the salvation. So we see in this passage the, the inseparable operation of the Holy Trinity. That's what theologians sometimes call this, that the triune God, the whole of the triune God is at work to bring about the salvation of the lost. And so it is the good pleasure of the Father, um, such was your gracious will, says the Lord Jesus. And then Jesus goes on in verse 22 to speak of the authority, the majestic authority of himself, of Jesus. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. 
and no one knows the Son except the Father, and so on. But just want to look at this little phrase first. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Well, what is that talking about? Um, we're going to have a think about this for, for a few minutes. Um, so this is it's a parallel statement to the statement at the end of Matthew's Gospel, um, where Jesus said that the disciples come to him, it's after the resurrection, and Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's a parallel statement to that, then go therefore make disciples of the nations. So here he says, all things have been handed over to me by my father. He's speaking about the giving of authority to Jesus. Now, we use the same language, don't we, in daily life. If, you're, if you've worked in the office and you've sort of come to the end of, a, end of the job, or worked in any job, really, but think of a situation in an office, uh, you might have someone else who's brought onto the post and you have a period of time where you have to hand things over to the new person. You have to hand over the security codes and make sure that they understand all the, all the different things so that the new person has got authority to do what you did. We speak of handing things over. Well, what does it mean to hand things over to Jesus? We've been thinking about the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy uh, Spirit. We think of the Son of God, that he is co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father. There was never a time when the Son of God was not. Through him, all things were made. The Son of God is fully God, the one who already has all authority. If you try to hand things over to the almighty God the Son, um, surely God the Son would say, that's okay, I've got this. I am the true and living God. What does it mean to hand things over uh, what does Jesus mean here? All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Well, Jesus is referring to himself in his office as mediator, in his office as uh, the God-man, the one who is uh, the Son of Man, uh, the one who is the incarnate Son of God. So there was a there was not a time when the Son was not, but there was a time when um, the Son of God was not a man, when before he was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. So Jesus saying it is to, to himself as the Son of Man, the second Adam, uh, that he has been given authority. Uh, all things have been handed over to him. Well, when did that happen? Well, in one sense, it was in the incarnation that Jesus was handed the task of being the mediator. In another sense, you could consider it was at his um, baptism when he, he formally, as it were, took upon this task of bringing about our salvation. And we see Jesus in his earthly ministry acting with authority as the son of man remember that when he speaks to the paralyzed man he he says um, um the, the the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins and then he said uh 
rise up, take your mat, and walk. So we see Jesus in his earthly ministry acting with authority. But how is it ultimately that the Son of Man has that authority to forgive sins, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to undo the curse? How is it that he can exercise that authority? Well, ultimately, that is only by virtue of his death upon the cross. For in his death upon the cross, Jesus bore the punishment for sin and broke the power of the curse that he can then say, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus' authority as the Son of Man, things uh, can he can truly exercise and have that authority um, by virtue of his death, burial, resurrection. And so his ascension into heaven to the right hand of God the Father is the place where he then sort of enters into fully that authority, when he is fully, as it were, given that kingly and majestic authority. And I touched on this last week, um, but this is, um, and I'm still thinking of this verse 22, all things have been handed over to me by my father. Um, but this is what that vision in, in Daniel 7 is speaking about. I might like to um, just, I want to think about this. Um, this is Daniel 7, 13 and 14, which again is about this giving of authority. And these verses speak of the ascension of the Christ. So Daniel said, this is, um, this is his vision of Daniel. He said, I saw in the night visions and behold, uh, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Okay. Uh, and the view here is from the, it's like a reverse angle view, and it is a view from the throne room of God. So one is coming into the throne room of God um, like a son of man. So if you think of the disciples at the ascension, they see Jesus going, don't they? They see Jesus going up, ascending, and being hidden by clouds, and clouds in the scriptures are... Um, denotes the, the very presence of God. Here they see um, the Son of Man coming on the clouds, coming into the very presence of God before the Ancient of Days. And verse 14 reads this. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So this is about the ascension of Jesus Christ to the right hand of the majesty on high, uh, and its demonstration that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Like Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Like this verse, our verse here, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Jesus has taken up, as it were, the job of being the mediator, handed the brief, even though at this point he has not done that decisive uh, work of dying on the cross and rising again. 
So, Jesus in his majestic, kingly uh, authority. And I don't know how familiar that, that is to you. It'd be interesting to, to sort of talk afterwards. And it may be that you're, you're, sort of, you're feeling a bit like the, the guy in the Larson uh, cartoon who says, Sir, uh, can I go now? My brain is full. Because um, there's, there's a lot for us to, to, to think about here. And this is part, part of these things is what the, the writer of the, the letter of Hebrews Talk, this is the solid food, which is for the mature, coming to, to understand these things. Well, that, that's in verse 22, but now we need to think of, like, why have things been handed over to Jesus by the Father? Um, he says, all things have been handed over to you by the Father, uh, and, and in short, it is to reveal God to them. It says, and no one knows the Son except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So remember, this is Jesus is delighting and rejoicing that these disciples have come to know uh, his identity. And so he is uh, rejoicing in that. So only God, the Son, knows God, the Father. Only God, the Father, knows God, the Son. And I think we are to assume that the Holy Spirit is operative at work here. Often the work of the Spirit is not mentioned. It just lies in the, in the background, is invisible in that sense. Um, and this, there's a parallel verse here, I think, in, in John's Gospel, in the famous verse, John 1.18, where uh, John or, or is written in verse 18, No one has ever seen God, but God, uh, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Wonderful words in, in John's Gospel. So here, this takes us right into the, the heart of the Trinity. We have God the Father, and then this distinction within the persons of the Godhead. We have God the Father and God the Son, who from all eternity is with the Father. Again, John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We have distinctions within the persons of the Trinity. And these distinctions within the persons of the Trinity really are the foundations whereby um, we, can, we can know anything at all. But God himself knows God himself fully. Um, no one has ever known God, the Father, except God the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So what is the work of God the Son? Well, it is to make known God the Father. Now, what is the, the pleasure of God the Son? To make known his Father. What is the desire of God the Father that the God the Son should make known God the Father? And we see this in Luke's Gospel. So we're spending a long time in chapter 10. We'll move on to chapter 11, and um, the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, well, when you pray, say, our Father, who art 
in heaven. Jesus is the unique son of God and he's making himself known to the disciples in the power of the spirit that they may come to know God as father. And so um, the point again is that we cannot by our own efforts attain to a knowledge of God. We cannot climb up into heaven and know God. Even the most intelligent, the uh, wisest, cleverest scientist who probes the depths of the mysteries of the universe cannot crowbar open the mystery of the universe and come to know the God who is at the heart of the universe. This cannot be known. God cannot be known without God making himself known. So think of an analogy with human relationships. To an extent, you cannot know me and know what I'm really like unless I open up and let you know what, what I'm like and, and, and tell you about myself and make myself known, as fascinating as I'm sure that would be. I say to an extent that's true because sometimes we, we give ourselves away, don't we? We're weak and we sort of we come out with a Freudian slip and I, and I reveal some aspect of my character that I didn't want to reveal. We, we're not imperfectly in control of what we reveal about ourselves. But in, in a general sense, if, you, if we want to get to know each other, that requires us to, to, to open up and make ourselves known. And so by some kind of analogy, that is true in the Godhead, God the Holy Trinity. How can we come to know the true and living God? Well, only if the true and living God purposes to make himself known to us. And is that his purpose? Well, wonderfully, we find that that is the purpose of the triune God, to make himself known, to blind hearts to, to, and, and also just to, to little uh, children. And so uh, we see here that Jesus is rejoicing in what the triune God has done. God in Christ is working to make himself known. Jesus is rejoicing exceedingly because these disciples, whom he calls little children, are coming to know Christ and through him, God the Father, and all of this in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this last little section, won't spend long on this, he's just Jesus is just expressing the great privilege of seeing these things and having these things revealed to us. So he turns to them and says privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it. And hear what you hear and did not hear it. You see these, these verbs to do with perception and coming to understand these things. These 72 disciples, these unknown disciples, stand in a place of great, great privilege. For long ages, prophets and kings long to look into these things, but to these it has been made known. They see and they hear. Well, what do we see and what do we hear from these verses? What is it that the Lord has revealed to us. Well, we see something in these verses, and I wonder if you see it, uh, something of the majesty 
and the authority of the Lord Jesus, the one who the disciples then called Lord, they saw something of his kingly majesty. And I wonder if you, as you reflect on Christ, uh, whether you just perceive and see some more of his great majesty. He is the Lord. He's the Lord of the harvest. He is the one who directs the mission of the church throughout the world. He is the one to whom has been given all authority and power. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we see what is the, the purpose of that, that mission. What is the purpose of mission in Luke and Acts? Well, ultimately, it is to make known the triune God so that um, men and women, boys and girls, can come to know the true and living God and call him Father. We see here uh, the work of the undivided Trinity, the desire of the Father that people would come to know the Son, the joy of the Son in the presence of his Father, all of this happening in the power and in the work of the Holy Spirit. We see the work of the undivided Trinity in the salvation of the world. And we take great uh, confidence and comfort in that, that the one who began a good work in you will see that forward until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, how ought we to respond? Well, we ought to share some measure of this joy. We ought to rejoice in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we ought to rejoice like little children. Um, if we have come to know God, and we ought to know that none of that was by our own effort or wisdom, uh, but because it has been God's good pleasure to make himself known to us. And so a passage like this um, should just teach us where our joy, our chief joy, should be found. And that is in our knowledge of God um, and that our names, as he says to his disciples, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so we have this great privilege to belong to, uh, to, to God and great privilege of being part of uh, this unstoppable mission. And so let us continue to pray and be praying as the Lord has taught us that uh, his kingdom would come, that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven, continue to be praying for his kingdom to be made manifest in our midst, that we would be coming to know more of the Lord Jesus, that his kingdom would be made manifest here in Gloucester. Um, for our eyes are fixed on the one enthroned on high, the one who is the Lord of heaven and earth. Let us pray together. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-S.